1: Hi, I'm actor and comedian Griffin Newman. And I'm film critic David Sims. Together, we host Blank Check, a movie podcast where week by week, we overanalyze directors' complete
2: filmographies.
3: In each new series, we discuss filmmakers who experience early success and are issued a series of Blank Checks by Hollywood to make their own crazy passion projects.
0: Now, sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby.
3: We're joined each week by incredible guests, including actors, writers, and directors. So you can follow Blank Check with Griffin and David on Spotify for new episodes every Sunday.
2: Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well,
0: on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farrin, comedian Neil Brennan, and many
2: more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to
3: Unspooled, Unspooled Top 3. Amy, I'm so excited for our guest today. Um, he's someone that we've talked about here on the show when we dissected Talladega Nights. He's also been a guest on the show talking about his favorite movie of the last year. But we haven't had a chance to really sit down and chat with this person, a person who calls himself A film nerd. He is a writer who started at Second City, went through Saturday Night Live, created iconic sketches, and then launched into the feature world with classic movies like Anchorman and Step Brothers, of course, Talladega Nights, which we did talk about, like I just said, and now more recently has gotten into the world of podcasting and writing and directing some of the biggest, buzziest films of the last couple of years, like The Big Short, Don't Look Up, and Vice. I am so excited to chat with Adam McKay, who's going to talk to us a little bit about his follow-up podcast to Death at the Wing. This is called Death on the Lot, and it's a podcast about what was going on in Hollywood post-World War II. We got a chance to listen to a couple of the episodes, and they are fantastic.
0: They are absolutely fantastic. I have been looking forward to the show Forever. Because I was a huge fan of Death at the Wing. Death at the Wing being his like basketball show about the deaths of basketball players in the 80s. How it tied into Reagan. Uh, Death on the Lot. Fantastic. I am very hooked. I'm on episode three right now. And so far, he's talking about literally every dark corner of everything that happened in Hollywood, including with episode two a whole corner I didn't even know about that really blew my mind about the link between the mob and unions that really demonized how we see unions in the public eye in a very, very unfair way. They had their back against the wall. Not cool. And great history to be talking about right now.
3: And what I love about his podcast, and you'll get to hear it in our interview with him, is everything is said in this casual, fun tone. It's not like listening to a history podcast. It's like listening to your friend Adam, who knows a lot of stuff, has partnered with some great researchers and great writers to present to you something that's going to make you smarter, but also still keep you at the edge of your seat and probably recontextualize some of the things that you think you know about history that we just were kind of fed the wrong information about.
0: That is so true. And with that, I'm going to give a shout out to one of the writers, Hadley Mears, very good friend of mine, brilliant historian, knows every single thing about classic Hollywood and murders uh, once, like, I met her as as she gave murder tours of Hollywood and also knows everything about the monarchy.
3: Brilliant, brilliant mind. And yes, one of the minds powering this show. Well, without any further ado, let's talk to Adam McKay about what he is up to and more importantly, what his top three films that he will be shooting into outer space. And I'll tell you, He is the first person who's truly taken it seriously to really think about what these aliens would get from each one of these films. So stay tuned for that. Adam, so excited to have you here. And I am excited about this podcast because I was a huge fan of Death at the Wing, which kind of uh, did the same thing that Death on the Lot does, kind of exploring these deaths around these big crucial moments in our history. And that was about the NBA and this new podcast is talking about some big tragedies that goes on in the film world as, as the movie business is kind of changing and the TV business is kind of coming into the, the fold here.
4: Yeah. It was funny during death at the wing. We were looking for another time in modern history where you had so many, Deaths uh, around a certain period. And the one we kept referencing was Hollywood. You know, Hollywood had that thing in the 40s, 50s, into the 60s where a ton of prominent figures die tragic deaths but you never know what's underneath it. Like, you know, so you kind of go into the podcast with the question alive and, uh, you know, there's always the chance that the answer is just, well, driver safety laws change (laughs) and and you have a really quick podcast. But um, if possible, you know, that post-World War II period, uh, turned out to be even more fertile and full of tectonic sort of changing mores and industries. So it was a uh, layered, deep, and uh, a pretty rich answer to the question of why did so many people die. I'm three episodes into
0: it right now, and I'm having the same mental image that I did when I was listening to Death at the Wing, which is. A giant board, red strings everywhere. Walt Disney's over here getting mad at unionization. And boom, now he's over here talking about communism. And I just am screaming in my head, it's all connected. And the name that ties (laughs) both of your series together is Ronald Reagan.
4: Yeah. Isn't it funny? I mean, (laughs) the leap he took from being kind of, you know, slightly cheesy leading man comedic actor starring in movies literally with a monkey Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> Bonzo yeah and just i i it's it's really fascinating how he just pops up all throughout the 20th century and i i think really in the end it just shows how our sort of society merged with entertainment how you know nowadays It's really hard to tell what's news, what's entertainment, what's fiction. And Reagan is kind of the perfect figure for that. Whether you love him or not, uh, it's kind of undeniable that, you know, we had an actor cast as the president. And it worked fantastically well for all the parties that wanted it to work well.
0: Well, you do have had a hand in blending comedy and politics and what is real and what isn't. There's a thing I read once in your history that I've always wanted to ask you about. Just hear the story from yourself. This is very early on in the career of who would become Adam McKay. You bought a 99 cent t-shirt that said Pepsi on it. You went to Navy Pier (laughs) in Chicago. You started a protest against Pepsi being Pepsi. What exactly happened?
4: (laughs) That is a true story. Yeah, there was... This was early this was 93 maybe 92 and it was when the economy was really starting to change and a foreign conglomerate bought all the corn sweetening plants uh, throughout the midwest and locked the unions out cuz they're like we don't want to pay living wages and so you know we're in Chicago it's a big union town and you know the the tradition that Paul comes from as well of improvisation Del Close, you know, all the early forms of improv was always sort of a working class kind of union theater. That's sort of what started it, Viola Spolin. And so there was always this thing with the comedy we were doing that it was connected to political things, social things. So we had just started the Upright Citizens Brigade. We were doing it like in a coffee house for like 20 people and we I said like hey, Pepsi is the big company still buying this corn sweetener. They refuse to back the unions, and they were literally launching Navy Pier this weekend. And Pepsi was a big sponsor. So we put on Pepsi shirts. We had some actors like Ian Roberts, who played a locked out union worker. And I just walked up to the big stage at the end of Navy Pier with hundreds of people there. And I said, oh, oh, I'm from Pepsi. I'm supposed to do some announcements. And the guy in charge was (laughs) like, go ahead. And uh, we acted out this whole sort of half-planned, half-improvised thing where we as the Pepsi reps got people to, like, roll Pepsi bottles with their nose and kind of (laughs) do rah-rah competitions while the actors in the crowd, Pat McCartney, Ian Roberts, started yelling at us about how their lives have been ruined because they don't have jobs anymore. Their town is crumbling, And then eventually it turned into kind of a staged riot with our actors attacking us (laughs) and ripping up a Pepsi sign. And the police came and arrested Ian, uh, Tom Giannis, Pat McCartney, Besser. And they started to come towards me. And I'm like, wow, I've never been arrested before. I'm about to get arrested. And the cop came up to me and he said, how do you guys wanna handle this? And there was like one second where I was like, wait, what? And it was like, "Oh, holy, shit. you know, he still believes I'm with Pepsi. And I was like, you know, we've had enough bad PR for the day, just let him go. And they let him go and we all like ran back to our car, like, holy crap. And uh, uh And then this was another kind of, we're living in a new world kind of moment. We turned on the news to see if they were, you know, what the coverage was going to be, and there was no coverage.
0: Oh, wow. And
4: there was some little kind of left-wing newspaper, and then there was like an obscure cable news channel that covered it. Otherwise, there was nothing.
0: It was Del Close, right, who used to say something like, if you aim for comedy and you miss, you end up with crap. But if you aim for something higher, something like art or politics, and you miss... You might still hit comedy.
4: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I've quoted that line for years. And uh, that's definitely been kind of a central tenet in what we do, even with the silly comedies like Talladega Nights and Anchorman. That was always our approach to it was we had kind of a buried higher goal behind the movie and then you know we're idiots too we like to laugh we like to do silly comedy we like to improvise so yeah it it seems to hold pretty well if you have higher ambitions and the comedy is always going to be there but if you just go for laughs what do you have if that doesn't work
3: well, like, I think that idea of like punching up is always something that people can get behind too. It's like, there is like a little bit of anger there. I think you named that show that you co-directed, uh, that we all did. And in- New York, the George Bush is a motherfucker. And just that <laughs> title, like just that title was like, like if you saw that in a timeout in New York, you'd be like, what, the, what is that? It made you active on some level. It was just boom, there it is. George Bush is a motherfucker. You would come in and we would frisk every member that came into the audience to be make sure they weren't holding anything, didn't have anything. What? And you, yeah, this is like <laughs> this whole thing about like, you know, going through security checkpoints like a TSA, like we treated, we like roughed up the audience before <gasps> they came in. And I mean, only I think part of it was knowing the history that you all had at the UCB and what you were doing where, you know, you did shows where you brought people out on the street to like, there was going to be a suicide. T- like it was like some way to engage people on a level to get them out of just like sitting there and being a passive viewer.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey everyone, this is Gil Ozeri. You may know me as the guy who eats food over a garbage can. Or my wife's cute little companion with the ass that won't quit. Or you may know me from Comedy Bang Bang. I play Dr. Sweet Chat and Ned Bellinella the busiest man or Irving Sardinas. Uh, Anyway, I just wanted to say how much I'm going to miss Scott now that he's dead. What? What do you mean he's not dead? Well, whose funeral was that? What? Who the hell is Gary? Wow, okay, well, I guess I want to wish Comedy Bang Bang a happy fifth. Fifteenth anniversary! Wow, I always have the best time on CBB. It is so much fun to do, and Scott makes me feel warm and welcome, and extra wet. So here's to another fifteen years. Keep listening to Comedy Bang Bang wherever you get your podcasts. That's right, Ruba, they should go do it. Yes, they should, Ruba, right? Yes, shouldn't they? No. What do you mean no? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, Ruba, go do. do. That's right, Ruba, go do
4: do you remember paul uh time out would not print the listing for the show oh you're right because of the name
2: yes and
4: uh and then the by the way the frisking was motivated by W. Bush rallies, they were having people sign loyalty oaths before (laughs) you could attend one of his rallies. So as crazy as that seems for a theater show, that was actually happening. And by the way, we look pretty good because as it turns out, George W. Bush was a motherfucker. (laughs) There is so many, was it like
3: the Cheney under the bed sketch where it was like, instead of a monster under the bed, it was like Cheney under the bed. (laughs) Like a lot of like funs. I mean, but it was like, but that was the first show where I think I learned that idea too. Of Like you could say something, it could still be funny, but you could say something a little bit more. And I feel like that was something that, we learned all from you, all came from Chicago, that idea of like, you can mix these two things, you can mix a point of view, like a really solid point of view, not, not just like, this is a crazy character in a wig and with a, you know, funny voice. It's like, it could be something grander. And, and those shows were, I think, a lot more successful and a lot more fulfilling than what was going on there before that.
4: Well, there's a history in depth on the lot that we get into, and it's the story of Rod Serling. And, you know, Rod Serling was doing uh, one of those hour-long drama shows. I think it was like the U.S. Steel Hour, and he tried to write a script uh, for the Emmett Till story. And by all accounts, it was this brilliant script. They were chugging along. They were going to do it. And then the advertisers were like, we're not putting ads on that. So the network called Sterling in. And they're like, look, can you make it the lynching of a Mexican in Mexico? <laughs> And Serling was like, what are you talking about? So they never did the episode. And Serling wrote this big op-ed in the New York Times saying, hey, we've got a problem like big money is behind you know it's behind these tv shows and they're telling us we can't do anything that's real or relates to the world and you know his op-ed came out some people chatted about it and then it was kind of forgotten about so his answer to how do i do stuff that's about this crazy world we're living in was he went to allegory and he did the twilight zone and you know every episode of the twilight zone is an allegory for, you know, McCarthyism, militarism, racism. And what's funny is that became the dominant aesthetic choice is that you bury the meaning, you hide it. And we, we discuss it in the show. It's really amazing that he was clever enough to think of that But it's also a capitulation in a way. And so, yeah, it's been interesting, especially now in 2023, where everything's kind of visibly listing. (laughs) Right. It's (laughs) like, how do you talk about stuff this dramatic, this huge, this seismic? You know, I really believe there's a whole shift going on with... You know our aesthetic taste as it becomes apparent that the old forms don't really work for the world that we're living in. So yeah, Rod Serling was the guy who was right there when money first started to like, affect culture, expression, and art.
0: Well, yeah. And also we're living in a time that's bringing back the twilight zone. And as much as I picture Rod Serling as a person in black and white, this is a history that's not that far away. You know, It's there's there are people alive who are alive then. It, Hollywood is one of those industries that really overlaps, where one generation mingles with the next. And it makes me wonder, in comparison to something like Chicago, is this a town where those fears are still here, where fears are baked in? Fears are sort of, I don't know, what do they use it in, like, therapy terms? Like, you you carry the trauma of your ancestors. Is Hollywood still <laughs> royal, traumatized, tongue-tied in a way that it was in the 50s?
4: Well, I would say a new era has come and and it sort of relates to the corn sweetener plants in the early 90s. What you've seen as sort of a mass financialization of American culture where everything is profitized, where government doesn't really regulate Anything or ever get in the way of industry. And it's definitely happening here in Hollywood where media conglomerates now own the studios. You have giant trillion dollar retail entities like Amazon and Apple are major players. And by the way, like, hey, you got to work with who's there. I mean, our company, we're still making projects, they have to be profitable even back in the 60s and 70s if no one bought tickets to your movie like you didn't Generally, didn't get to make another one, so some of those rules still apply. But there's definitely a new era that we're in. There's new pressures on what's being made. Um, you know, the most recent story, and once again, I'm not saying this in a good or bad way. Have your own opinion. But Warner Media taking HBO's name off of HBO Max yeah. because they thought it was too high. Falutin and wouldn't appeal to a broad audience. Well, that's very boardroom Wall Street in its kind of reasoning. So, you know, in some ways, those forces that were kicking us around and that we were battling with in the fifties and sixties have kind of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I mean, they really have, I mean, there's a bunch of great books about it. The counter revolution to the new deal, dark money, Jane Mayer. She, ca- she chronicles it beautifully in great detail, how big money went to Washington DC with the chamber of commerce, how, you know, deregulation of wall street under bill Clinton. I mean, you can really kind of track it and you can see how it's affected our culture. But yeah, it's really interesting stuff because it's a history you don't hear talked about a whole lot. Our recent history tends to be just very hazy and about who was president and when did a you know giant accident happen. And that tends to be just about it. I mean, I read a
3: book about the Sony hack and it was really interesting because, yes, there's a lot of stuff in there that are like, oh, what did they say about Angelina Jolie or what did they say about the new James Bond? But the underlying thing that I found so fascinating was this idea of don't make any more good movies that can't sell overseas, like the whole thing with what Amy Pascal was doing over there. And then they were like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't translate. We can't get we can't do that anymore. And like that was such a this like these corporations dictating not only what they want, but what will make a profit, what will make people not stand against them in a way. And I feel like it's it's harder and harder to get something out that even has a little bit of a point of view. And if you do, you're going to have to really pay the price for it. I think that you see Ted Sarandos has taken that too. It's like you're just putting out a point of view, not saying I, I believe in this or I don't believe it. It's like you have to really stand in front of it right now, I think in a different way. Like, you know, it's, it's a very I think as a company you just look at the bottom line and it's 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 kind of shocking in that way.
4: Yeah, I think like we like to personalize everything and talk about individuals and who's in charge of this company and but the real truth that you never really hear about although it's a very obvious point which we all know is the for-profit corporate charter, as it exists, especially in America, you have one job when you're on that board, when you're the CEO, the COO, the CFO, is to increase shareholder value. And that's all that matters. And if you don't do that, you can actually get in legal trouble You can be charged with malfeasance. You can be accused of fiduciary irresponsibility. And it's this quarterly lens of operation that I would say has pervaded our culture in a pretty giant way. I heard someone recently call the culture we live in limbic capitalism. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like- gamblings just everywhere now clicks uh quick yeah. hits profits everything's like the what we put in our food is like designed for quick hits and it's this kind of limbic
3: capitalism we're just like we want pleasure and we want and like if it's if it's streaming we got to be connected in the first 5 seconds or we're switching it it's like everything is like give it to me now it's like hitting that button like uh like I feel like it is it's it's almost like a very ADD kind of mentality of like, you have to be stimulated at all time.
4: Yeah, I mean, the good news is... It never works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's going to collapse. I, I just, I mean, it's with the climate, you're seeing the biggest impact of this quarterly thinking is that we've yeah. ignored this for 30 years and now it's here. Um, but, you know, eventually it, what it'll mean is like you could see theater really start to blow up again. It's the same reason podcasting took off. from. Right. In the first place, because Clear Channel basically took over all the radio stations and good radio kind of dried up for the most part. There's always exceptions. So there will be a a counter reaction to it. I really think it's going to be live theater the same way live music kind of blew up.
0: I could see that. Like, this is something I'm very curious in keeping an eye on Meow Wolf, keeping an eye on like experiential theater keeping an eye on this need to like feel and do something that feels special, unique to that moment that feels like alive. I feel like whatever comes next after this moment that feels awful and boring and dull, I think the cracks in it are starting to show up and I see the light of something exciting, but I have no idea exactly what it's going to look like.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to have to create their own stuff. And that's one of the things going back to what we started talking about with like doing something on Navy pier and doing these shows. It's like, you have to kind of do it yourself and and self-motivate to do it. I think in the past it was like, well, if I get my one shot, then I'll be on the gravy train now. You could have a hit show and it doesn't really make a difference. Writers who are writing for television can't even make a living wage. So it's there's no more like nirvana, like, oh, if I only get my one shot, I'll go ahead. So I think maybe there's a, a freedom in like, well, if I'm not going to make my fortune... Writing a TV show, but I can go do something in theater. I can go make something where I don't have to worry about the bottom line because the bottom line's not even there in the thing that where it used to be. I think that that's freeing in a way. Like you can yeah. get your money, yeah. You can get. Exposure I keep thinking in about the ways. difference
0: between growth and sustenance, like not just in the economy, not just in corporations, not just in quarterly reports, but like as creative people, as artists, are we in it for? Growth, getting richer every year, or just sustaining, being able to do it every year?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think you're also seeing it with there is a burgeoning labor movement. You know, well, I mean, you saw it with Amazon, Starbucks, there's a bunch of newsrooms in, uh, you know, I'm in the WGA East. It's kind of funny, though, to watch it because our history, our knowledge of organized labor has been so erased. Like, I mean, when I went to high school, we like, I don't even think it was mentioned organized labor. No. The fact that unions gave us the weekend, people used to work seven <laughs> days a week and die on the job, and they give the widow 10 bucks. And So it's funny watching a new generation discover it almost as a new thing. Um, Yeah,
0: but it's getting erased even as it's happening. Like I'm I'm an MTV news person who we joined WGA East and then we all got fired. And MTV said that it was because they were pivoting to video was the excuse. And we weren't allowed to say it's because we unionized. You know, and there's so much you can't talk about and I want to talk about it and get mad about it.
4: That should be illegal. Like if our government was doing its job, that would have been right. prosecuted. But we know like government doesn't back labor. By the way,
3: it's exactly what you just described on Navy Pier. It's like somebody coming over to Pepsi going, what do you want to do? It's like they're going, they're letting the corporations decide. It's like, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's
4: so true. yeah. But anyway, that's that's where this podcast yeah. kind of came out of the spirit that you're talking about. For like five years, I was like trying to get a docu-series or a scripted series going about... The uh, Reagan revolution, because it's a major historical point in our country's history. And I couldn't find any popular documentaries or scripted out There, there. There are some things that glance upon it and certainly plenty of books. And then finally, we're like, well, wait a minute. This stuff isn't boring. It's actually really interesting and exciting. And because podcasts, you don't have to spend... $10 million to get into it. We just made death at the wing and then death at the lot. And yeah. And and for us, it's really entertaining for the people who uh, were listening to death at the wing. It was entertaining. We joke around. There's really interesting stories. It gets personal. And I think that's a misnomer that like, when you talk about stuff, that's about reality, that it has to be boring that you're preaching. And, you know, uh, just for me, not the case. Well, I mean, I can listen to you talk about
3: anything. And I feel like that's the tone of the show. And if you listen to the other podcast, you get that sense. It's having a conversation with a really smart person. And with that being said, I know you're very well read and you were interested in this, but was there anything along the way that you were like, oh, I didn't know that. And and we're able to get that in the show, like something that did kind of sneak up on you? Because like you said, you're, you're kind of figuring it out like, Oh, is James Dean a part of a larger thing? Is Disney like, as you start to put this thing together, was there anything that kind of jumped out to you that, that kind of surprised
4: you? I mean, the biggest story that I didn't know about was the gangster Willie buy off. I just had never heard his story and how he was killed and his role in Hollywood and in the history of labor I mean, I'm aware of how big money took down labor. You know, it was a concentrated effort through the 60s into the 70s that, guess what? One of their biggest spokespersons, Ronald Reagan. Um, (laughs) and, And so I knew the, you know... Boulware, this guy for GE, developed these tactics because they really, people loved unions in the 50s and 60s. And they, you know, big money was really running up against the unions. So it took them a while to kind of undo that. Um, but the Willie buyoff story, our team, so great. Hadley Mears, Brian Steele, Jody Avergan, Uh, they did all the research on that. They found the interviews. And that whole story, I don't want to give it away. Yeah, but, yeah, man, tragic. It's also like you're watching casino gangsters, crazy debaucherous parties, sex parties in the hills, like, and then you realize this crazy story kind of in some ways changed American history.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Gil Ozeri. You may know me as the guy who eats food over a garbage can, or my wife's cute little companion with the ass that won't quit. Or you may know me from Comedy Bang Bang. I play Dr. Sweet Chat and Ned Bellinella, the busiest man, or Irving Sardinas. Uh, Anyway, I just wanted to say how much I'm going to miss Scott now that he's dead. What? What do you mean he's not dead? Well, whose funeral was that? What? Who the hell is Gary Wow, okay, well, I guess I want to wish Comedy Bang Bang a happy fifth. Fifteenth anniversary! Wow, I always have the best time on CBB. It is so much fun to do, and Scott makes me feel warm and welcome and extra wet. So here's to another fifteen years. Keep listening to Comedy Bang Bang wherever you get your podcasts. That's right, Bruba. They should go do it. Yes, they should, Bruba. Right? Yes. Shouldn't they? No. What do you mean no? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes, Bruba, go do. do. That's right, Bruba, go do.
2: Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
3: so let's let's go through these top three, these top three films. Why they're important to you there, and you could pick any order you want, and we'll kind of jump in with you as as you introduce them to us.
4: Cool. So I really thought about the fact that we're going to be shooting these into space, right? Yes. Yeah. Specifically, your question is: pick three movies. To shoot into space and unsaid is the hope that some <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> alien life form will find yeah. <laughs> these three movies or they'll go through a black hole and life on Earth will find them in 10,000 years or it'll go back for cavemen or you the, know, yeah, these are going to be
3: his important historical records of who we were, what we were, yeah, and what and what, how we wanted to entertain them. I feel like also. So that's part of it too. If these aliens find it, did they enjoy it? Maybe they did.
4: (laughs) So I picked the movie Up, but you you guys have to remind me of my choices because I had like thirty
3: choices. We will. We will. Up was the one I was going to say I was surprised at because, you know, obviously it's a it's a little bit of a newer film, and I know that you probably saw it as an adult and. My thought was, what connects you to this Pixar movie? I mean, the opening is absolutely beautiful. It's like I remember just openly weeping a, a solo man in a Walt Disney movie theater uh, <laughs> on a Wednesday night and just being like, what, what am I doing here at the uh, at Disney theater? El Capitan. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's obviously a beautiful movie. I mean, a bunch of those uh, Pixar movies are incredible. Wall-E is another one I can't shut up about. Yeah. What's the uh, other one about the girl and we go into her psyche? Oh, inside, oh, oh, out?
3: Uh, yeah, inside, inside out. out. Yeah, inside out. Oh, I my love that.
4: God, That's that so good. Is incredible. So the reason I pick this is because I think Pixar does allegory. Better than anyone. I actually think they've a a heightened allegory to like a high art form. And also, I'm a big believer in like movies that play for audiences, like not rarefied niche kind of movies. I (laughs) like big popular movies that are doing a bunch of things. So Up is beautifully illustrated, very emotional, but it also really speaks to like the human story in that you see rapid gentrification, you see wild imagination and fancy with the guy putting the balloons on his house, you see this story that uh, anthropomorphized is animals, which let's face it, we do. It's funny. Yeah. Like I laughed hard at the squirrel joke with the dogs. Like I laughed, like Pixar has real laughs in their yeah. movies. So I wanted all of that, but yet it also deals with aging, life, death. So if I had to kind of jam pack the human story and experience into a movie in an artful, moving, funny way up. And when I left the theater, I turned my wife and I just said, holy shit, what was that? Like, (laughs) I didn't see it coming. I was just like, I knew it was going to be good. It's Pixar. But for me, I love judging movies just based on the raw exercise of imagination. And that movie is just overflowing with imagination. Another movie like that is RRR. Oh, Oh, yes. We talk about this movie. We got to actually host the
3: first ever uh, IMAX presentation of it at Man's the one at Chinese the big State. Chinese. Oh, yeah, here I'm in so L. A. It was so
0: cool. Oh. It was
3: like being at a rock concert. Like I've never heard a theater like every the people were dancing in the aisles at certain points, but the roar, like a roar of the crowd, it like engaged people in such a way. It really is one of the best. Film experiences I've ever had ever, in a theater. Ever.
4: Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle is another yeah. <laughs> one where I left the theater and I'm like, I didn't know that could happen in a theater. I have never seen anything like RRR. And I know RRR is tied to a tradition of filmmaking and the song and dance. But that movie, I've watched a bunch of Indian movies and they're incredible. That movie had a whole extra oomph and humor and over the top and the anti-colonial story. So anyway, I just love movies that are raw exercises in imagination exuberance connection with the audience and so up makes it on this satellite which by the way nasa has taken a ton of flack for launching this satellite just to indulge the hubris of filmmaker adam mckay it's (laughs) at great cost we had to cut the food stamps program to you know it's
3: okay it's okay
0: We have talked to a NASA person about this. She's very quiet. It answered a yes, lot of our she questions. She answered a lot of.
3: It's gonna happen. It's gonna get up there. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> but I am curious. Really fast, before we move on, you've said that podcasting to you is like animation in the ability to just tell all sorts of stories using using imagination, the way that you're describing. But have you yourself ever been tempted to direct a whole animated feature?
4: Yeah, I actually had a whole idea for an a- animated feature, and we, you know, we had it beat it out. I was told you can direct it over the time period of like two and a half years, but I was so busy with, I think we were doing the big shorts. And then we were producing a bunch of stuff. I just never found the time to do it. And uh, we're producing an animated film over at Apple. And uh, so I love animation. I mean, I'm sure like you guys, I was just raised on The Simpsons and uh, Ren and Stimpy. I'm a comic book geek from way back. So yeah, and it is the reason I love podcasts. I mean, you can just- do anything you want. Like, um, so, you know, people kept asking me, like, you know, you're busy. Why are you doing death on the lot? And I'm like, because I love it. And Death at the Wing is, like, truly one of the great experiences I've had working on any project, film, TV, theater, documentary, whatever you can think of. So, yeah, yeah, it's just the greatest like playground for the imagination and Up is just stellar. just knock me on my butt. It's
3: a. I think it's a good one to talk about because it is one of the Pixar movies that I think doesn't get as much praise as it should because it's just sort of like, I think that you forget, like it's like, oh yeah, they do that really well. It's like when you watch a great basketball performance, you're like, oh yeah, well yeah, yeah, but that's what they do. It's like, you forget like, no, 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 but that's like consistency. Like I think that Pixar... We expect so much from them that we forget to like marvel in how each one is exceptionally very good. It's like, well, yeah, they have to be very good.
4: That is true. And like when the Pixar element kind of washes off of them, right? They'll just stand as individual works.
0: Paul, you yes. mentioned great basketball performances. And I feel like that brings us to the second film of Adam's Picks that I want to talk about. Yes. Which is <laughs> Kareem <laughs> Abdul Jabbar. And the
3: film Airplane. (laughs) Ah, the best. (laughs) Airplane is,
4: yeah, go for it. It's the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater. We were all in, I think, sixth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, I think. There was no cable TV or we couldn't afford it. We had Eric Twin Frazier, this little mangy theater off Route 30 down the road for us. It was summer. And we just went and saw an airplane like five times. (laughs) And uh, I've always said that joke in an airplane, boy trapped in refrigerator eats own foot, changed my life because it was the (laughs) first time I'd ever encountered sort of out of left field, strangely specific random humor And yet not random, because it makes perfect sense in the context. And I laughed in a way I had never laughed before. And I've heard other comedy writers talk about specifically that joke. So this movie is the riskiest. So if this movie lands on a planet where they have sentient, 500 foot tall granite stones with 190 IQs that live for a trillion years this movie could have been a wasted shot but uh <laughs> this this movie is purely about humor it's about the fringes of our conscious mind it's about our bizarre culture and if it hits, it's going to hit great, but there's a chance it just, if it goes to a planet with two mile wide sponges that can speak 20 different languages, it may just be a <laughs> wasted uh, opportunity. Well, I will say this.
3: I, as uh, my kids right now are uh, eight or turning nine and seven, and I put on movies like this to see where they land. And what I found with Airplane is, And Naked Gun is it has something for everyone. Like they're going to get 40% of the jokes at this age or, you know, maybe, you know, but the, when they do, they're really laughing and a bunch are going over their head. And I think that that, the way that Airplane stacks their jokes and the kinds of jokes Make it, I think, a worthier shop because you don't know about these sponges. Maybe these sponges like more physical stuff. Maybe they like more societal <laughs> stuff. Maybe they just like psych gags. Maybe they're a fan of uh, Laker basketball. You don't know. You got you got all your base. You got all your bases. If they're covered. cool, they're fans of Laker basketball. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, this is a you've walked into a, a set of <laughs> here. Uh here. and I are Clipper Lakers here, uh, but uh, I think airplane is a great choice. Wait,
0: but I am curious: is there an NBA player that you would want to work with? To, to make an actor, is it Boban?
3: I
4: oh, can't yeah, set Bo- that up, Boban. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna go with an NBA player you don't, like I love what the safties did with Kevin Garnett. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. You know, I was like, holy crap, Kevin Garnett's pretty good and real. So I would wanna like go into the unknown a, a little bit and uh, I would try and do like Bol Bowl for the magic. <laughs> or I would do Tyrese Maxey from the Sixers. Love this. I'd want to do Tyrese Maxey in like a 1930s drama about people going to fight in the Spanish Civil War. And Tyrese <laughs> Maxey <laughs> is in it, and he's incredible. You, By the way, you've just named two of my son's
3: favorite players. He has a bowl Bol shirt. Uh, and, and he got to, and he, and he, uh, he practices the same gym that Tyrese Maxey practices at during the summer. Uh, and, but I, I, I like that. I mean, I thought Anthony Edwards was so good in hustle and it was, he's so good, but I like that idea of like, take, take them out of their element. They like, put them in a period, a period piece, a drama. I think that's the way to go. I want to see that. I love that. All right, Amy, uh, let's go to our last pick here.
0: So we need to talk about your third film. I was very happy to see this pick because this is a director I've been wanting to do on this show. I've been torn between so many of his films. I've kind of whittled it down to La or this one. It is Fellini and Knights of Kiberia. The story of a sex worker and her really, really amazing series of good and bad decisions. Her life, her passion... A movie where you just really live with the actress Giulietta Messina as she goes through this just wild, emotional, crazy film. She gets clients who are actors. She's robbed. All sorts of things happen. If you have not seen this film, my God, it is one of the all-time greats. So here I am babbling about it. Adam, please talk to us about Knights of Cabiria.
4: So, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about we're trying to connect with inside-out elephants that have their internal organs on the outside of your their body <laughs> that live on a solid diamond planet, and uh, we're trying to get them to connect with the humans. I would say, of all the movies I've ever seen, the end of Knights of Kiberia with Julieta Messina. This is a spoiler alert by the way. Yeah. Because, uh, it, so if you're going to watch Knights of Kiberia, uh, plug your ears for the next five seconds where she loses everything. And then the march of the Romani performers, the traveling performers uh, goes around her and she can't help it. She smiles. Oh, I'm going to get teary eyed talking about it. I I saw that in a theater in New York, the old Lincoln Center Theater, which of course they shut down because quarterly thinking capitalism. And uh, I saw that in a theater and that was back when they didn't have the credits at the end. So the movie would just end. It would go, you know, uh, how do you say finish in Italian? Finito. Uh, Uh, Finito. Finito? Finito. I'm
0: making that up from Italian restaurants. I don't know. Sounds (sighs) good.
4: And uh, so it went finito lights up and the entire theater was sobbing. And it was one of the most incredible moments. My wife was sobbing. I was sobbing the entire theater with the lights up. And I mean, if there's a chance that the inside out elephants are going to connect with human emotions, that's my best shot I'm taking is the end of Knights of Kabiria. Also, you get into religion, class, you get into humor, like all the human stuff. But that ending, oh, the best.
0: I mean, that character, Kabiria, she's like one of the all time amazingly written and performed characters. So she's frustrating and vulnerable, self-destructive, funny. Tough. Oh. I mean, she sets a bar, like a challenge, I feel like, to every writer-director. Can you do this?
4: And the answer is no. As a, <laughs> as a, as a gift uh, for our uh, my wife's, uh, what was it for? Valentine's Day. I found a picture of Giulietta Messina and Fellini waiting for their luggage at an airport. Cause you know, they were married yep. and I uh, got it framed for my wife and it's an incredible picture cause it's them being real people. And even still Messina has that twinkle to her. It's an amazing picture. Oh, I got to
3: see that. I, I, I was just thinking though, as we we're talking about this, this is the way that, and again, spoiler alert, uh, the end of Russian doll season one ends in a very similar way. I don't know if, uh, oh, if uh, you're like, right. yeah, I just didn't, I didn't put that together and I really love that ending. And I'm like, oh, well, that's definitely an homage. It has to be because it's the same.
0: Oh, I can see that. And I think Natasha Leon has a lot of that same twinkle, yeah. to be honest.
4: Uh, and we know Leone like, no yeah. question. She's a total film buff. She's turned me on in so many great movies through the years. So, uh, in fact, we got to ask her. I will because I, all we have a bit that
3: we just send pictures of Al Pacino to each other, old school Al Pacino to each other. <laughs> and it's
4: like, how do we find these- Panic v- in Needle Park, <laughs> Al Pacino.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's just like these like very casual shots of, uh, and yeah, no, she goes very, very deep there. And uh, oh, I just realized that like, I haven't thought about this movie, Knights uh, of Capiria, in a while. And I, I feel like also, we talk about this a lot. There is sometimes a hesitation of people to- explore and go into films that are not american and you know when we do certain ones on this on this podcast you'll see the download numbers just like dwindle because it's like oh no no i'm not going to watch a i'm not going to watch subtitles and i feel like you're just doing yourself such a great disservice in life to just cut out uh so much like i've talked to people who won't see rrr because of that and it's like well you have just i don't understand that mentality if you love film how you could just eliminate three quarters of what is out there.
4: I mean, the thing I always say, cause my daughters, I'm now trying to get them to watch old movies and stuff. And the thing that I tell them is like, you know, me, I still eat taco bell. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> I like, I love junk. I am lazy. I, I like to be entertained. If I'm telling you it's a movie to watch with subtitles, it's cause it's, awesome. Like the seven samurai, like that is a fun movie. You get over the subtitle thing in like three minutes. Like I remember the Mike Lee movies, seeing those when they first came out and I couldn't get past the accent. Right. And it took me like five, 10 minutes. And then you dial in and you're like, Oh, it's a movie as entertaining as anything you're going to see. No, these movies are not, Highfalutin, difficult movies. That's a different list. And by the way, right. like Gene Dielman is a movie that's a little harder. Sure, I would not tell my buddy from high school, man, you and your wife gotta watch Gene <laughs> <Jean> Dielman. <laughs> I would, I would prep them. It's like you know, the yeah, you gotta celebra- walk them into that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, no. I mean, Nights of Kiberia is awesome.
3: I love having my my uh, my six year old son will. He watches uh, Shaolin Soccer, which is a film that is, oh, I believe, in Cantonese, right? Like, and he watches it completely in its original language, and will bring his grandparents in to watch it. And they are so confused while he is watching, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he can't read. He's barely able to read. He's just enjoying it on a full level. And you know, it's 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 in Chinese. I I, I don't know. I, I I don't understand what's going on. Like he get, but he's like, no, no, you got to watch this part. And he keeps them by the TV watching it. So I love that he is. He's
4: forcing that. Here's a too. good one for that because <laughs> yeah. once again, you think Kurosawa, you think of you know high, low, these like revered movies. But you know, people forget Kurosawa's fun, like he's yeah. juicy, he's pulp. Yo Jimbo is a good one. I want your parents to walk in and see <laughs> your young son watching Yojimbo because it's awesome it's just fun the music the shots it's action um yeah there's tons of those movies well that that's another weird thing with american culture that like this anti this like the word art is like the worst thing you could say. Like remember when uh, uh, Bjork came to America and wore the swan thing on a red carpet and like radio stations, morning zoos were like, what a weirdo, get out of here. it's like, (laughs) no, Bjork's awesome. Like her music is fun and incredible. She's a great actress. She's funny, she's smart, but like, yeah, there's kind of, Fake average man sort of antipathy towards anything that seems like it's acting like it's better than you. And we're missing out on all these just great juicy movies like Yo Jimbo or Shaolin Soccer or yes. RRR. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, to bring it back around, like, I've always felt like this is a really teenage country. Like, our country's still in its teenage zone of like, You can't tell me what to do. That's weird. I don't like it. And I do feel like that is the other thing holding us back from talking politics and art is as soon as you start to, people are like, you're lecturing. I know this. You don't need to tell me this. Even if I agree with you, why are you telling me this? And it's it's like it's coming from both sides of the house.
4: It's the weirdest Thing like sometimes we'll do a movie or a project, and like Vice, which was a very divisive movie, whatever. But there were certain journalists who were like, I already knew that. And I'm like, well, then it's not for you. Like, Like I saw Malcolm X, the incredible Spike Lee movie. And I had read a lot about Malcolm X, the civil rights movement. And I saw the movie and there was nothing really that new for me. But I was like, well, it's not for me. Like, you know, he wanted school kids to go see it. So it becomes part of the history. But yeah, it's a weird thing. I, I think part of it is just we're so coddled in a consumer culture. Like if my Crunchwrap Supreme that I'm about to get is <laughs> not perfectly crunchy to contradict the tortilla, I'm going to go back through the drive through line and get the proper <laughs> Crunchwrap Supreme. You owe it to and-
3: yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Like I love myself that much. I'm going to do it. But, but I think you're totally right, Amy. We get a little too adverse to a tough barrier of entry and we miss really good stuff. And I do believe that RRR is a little bit of a great moment
3: because it was so good. It was so entertaining. It, It captured so many things that I think a general movie audience liked that people did give it a chance. And I believe that that's why it broke through so big here because It was undeniable. Uh, And it's hard to make everything undeniable, but I think it is. It's like, oh yeah, like go deeper. And I I think I've talked to a lot of friends who also have gone deeper with that director, with other films, because they were like, oh my gosh, It, it feels like, what was I missing? It's like you found an extra room in your, wherever you live. You know, it's like, oh wait, there's a, a secret wall back here? You found your own Narnia.
4: Like there's more I didn't even know about, you know? I love that you just said secret room. And right away, I was like, that would be creepy as hell. And then you went, it's the difference between Paul and I. Paul is definitely a little bit more of an optimistic guy. And I right away pictured a skeleton and like cue cards from a porno film behind the wall. Oh
3: my God. God. Oh God. <laughs> Adam, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for talking about movies. Uh, and I can't wait for everybody uh, that's listening to this to be listening to death on the lot.
4: Thanks guys. A pleasure. So fun.
0: I have adored the episodes of death on the lot that I have gotten to listen to so far. I absolutely marathon death at the wing death on the lot. Just as incredible. Everyone out there, this show premieres June 1st. You can listen to episode one then. You'll have to wait a week to listen to episode two, a week to episode three. But if you subscribe to The Binge, which is Sony's podcast channel, you can marathon all the episodes. They will all be out on June 1st if you are a subscriber. Or you can tantalize it the long way. You have your choice. And I want to leave us with a quote from Adam himself from his Oscar speech when he accepted the prize for the big short. Don't vote for candidates that take money from big banks or oil or weirdo billionaires.
3: Prophetic words, even more prophetic today. Well, Amy, until next week, but a big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find The Unspooled Show, and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like Screen Test on Stitcher Premium. And for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show, you can head on over to (laughs) unspooledpod.com.